be with you all to, to celebrate uh, Father's Day and, and specifically dedication. Uh, it is just, it's fun to be able to, to introduce these children to the congregation and for the congregation to get to know them and, and to kind of know them as being part of the church family. I know that when it comes to church governance, we talk about membership and, and whatnot, but, but membership or not, does not, is not the definition of what it means to be a part of the family of God. Faith is what it means to be a part of the family of God. And by faith, these parents desire to raise their children to know him and, and, and to include them in the family of God. And so I love celebrating that. I love to be able to see that, that this life is not about me. It's not about what I'm doing, but it's about the family of God, the kingdom of God, the things that God is doing in this world. And so uh, beyond the cuteness of being able to hold these children and, and introduce them to the congregation, I love to see how God wants to use these young children in the family of God and the future of his kingdom. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to continue in our study of the book of Daniel. And if you've been with us from Sunday to Sunday, you know that we've been studying uh, this as, as a book to kind of examine what it feels like to, to navigate adversity. In fact, when we open the book of Daniel and, and read those early stories, you almost might think of them as like a, not a proof text, but like kind of this, this guide to how to navigate trials and tribulation. And, and yeah, it does kind of teach us about that in some ways, but, but more than teaching us to navigate trials and tribulation, what we learn from the book of Daniel is to trust in God and, and not to trust in man while we live in a foreign land. In other words, we can trust in certain things of man, but ultimately our hope is in God. Our trust is completely in God. But in order to trust in God rather than man, we need to to know him, to, to remember him, which is, I think, key to figuring out how, to, how we live in this time, how we live in this land, and, and it's to stay focused on who God is. In other words, if God is truly God, if we say we believe in God, we, we believe in what he said, then we have no reason to fear tomorrow because we trust and know that by nature, God is faithful and trustworthy to guide us to provide for us, to protect us. God is faithful and trustworthy. He's just and righteous. He's compassionate and he's merciful. Now, our circumstances might not be panning out the way we thought they would. We, we may not think that my five-year plan is actually going to be uh, going to happen the way I expect it to, but but in those times, maybe what we need to learn, as Daniel teaches us, is not so much to pray, God, change my circumstances. God, rescue me from this difficult time. But maybe what we need to pray, as Daniel prays, is that God would change our hearts. That he would shape our, our hearts and our minds to face whatever circumstances are in front of us, whatever circumstances he's shepherding us through. One of our favorite passages of scripture to recite is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. So far, so good. I'm with you, Jesus. I love that you want to make me lie down beside uh, in green pastures and lead me to quiet waters. But then David goes on in his prayer. Even though I walk through the valley uh, of the shadow of death, uh, Jesus, that, that wasn't in my five-year plan. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't planning for these bumps and bruises. I wasn't planning for this difficult pathway to be led down. That doesn't seem right, Jesus. I'm, I'm not sure I'm 
I'm not, I'm not sure that's where we need to go. I, I, think maybe, I think maybe Jesus, my shepherd, you took a wrong turn somewhere. See, church, the, the sheep don't tell the shepherd where to go. The sheep don't say, shepherd, I know where there's a better place for us to graze. I, I know where the water is crisp and clear and cool and running and, and peaceful to, to sip upon, right? The, the sheep don't do that. No, what it means to trust in God in a foreign land is trust that he leads us, that, that he can guide us, that, that he's actually trustworthy to guide us into those places, even when it seems like the circumstances aren't supposed to be this way. We can trust him. See, the book of Daniel invites us to ask ourselves, do I really believe that God is God? Do I really believe that I'm one of his children, I'm one of his sheep, that he's actually going to protect me and provide for me and guide me? Do I really believe this? See, for Daniel and his colleagues, they were taken as captives to a foreign land. Their, their hope of their future, when they were young men trained up, they had all this, the heritage of, of being from this family of influence and there were gonna be these wise men and, and then the Babylonians captured them and sent them away. Do you think that was one of those moments where they said, uh, Shepherd, I think we took a wrong turn here somewhere. This isn't what life was supposed to be like. I don't know. I mean, the, the scriptures don't tell us that they actually asked those questions. But, but if Daniel is anything like me, and he's a normal human being, I imagine at some point he would have at least entertained the thought in his head. Is, is this really the way it's supposed to go? But see, I think that this, this line of thinking is dangerous. It's dangerous for us to ask the question, how can God do this to me? How, how can we be allowed to walk down this path? Because what this line of thinking does is put me at the center of creation. That all the world and all its resources is meant to serve my purposes and for my good and for my well-being and my comfort and my security. But that was never meant to be that we would be at the, the center of creation, the center of all things. No, God alone deserves that place. And yet our thinking, God, how can you do this to me? How can you lead me here? How can you, how, how can you, how can you walk me down this path is dangerous, not because it's offensive, but because it builds the habit of us thinking that we're at the center of creation. It's a, a little like, uh, Bilbo and his companions in, in the Hobbit movies, right? There, there's this scene where they're traveling through this place called Mirkwood Forest. Mirkwood Forest is this, you know, in the, at least in the film, I should say. I didn't read the book, but I watched the movie, so that counts, right? Uh, in, in the movie, it's this dark and, and kind of creepy forest, right? And there's supposedly this dark magic that's upon the forest. And so they have to get through the forest, but if they leave the trail, if they, if they look to the left or the right, they get lured away from the trail, they're never going to find their way out of this forest. They'll forever be trapped in this forest. And that's actually what happens. They get lost. They get off trail. They get confused. They forget about what their, what their um, company's purpose is and being on this mission. They forget where they're going. In some ways, they kind of forget who they are or where they've been. See, church, when we, when we focus on our own personal needs too much, when, when we focus on all that's going on in the, the world around us and take our eyes off of God, 
it leaves this very dangerous place in our lives where we get lost and confused so that when we're living in this foreign land, we forget where we're going. We forget where we've been. We forget what needs to be, what, what's true and what's right and what's, what's good. See, in real life, this happens all too often when we, when we lose our perspective. We care so much about our own situation, our own circumstances, that we forget the much larger purposes going on, the, the fact that God is accomplishing his promises in this world, that he's working in and through you and I. So when we look at a situation and we say, this never should have been, we lose sight of the fact that God knows far better than we could ever imagine. He knows where our path is going. He knows what sort of dangerous trials we have to walk through. He knows what sort of disappointments and discouragements we, we, we're going to face. And what he asks us in that moment is, can you be still and know that I am God? See, Daniel chapter 9 occurs at a time in which there's a lot going on in this world. Daniel had been in captivity for not three years, not five years not 15 years, for almost 85 years at this point. He'd been in captivity a long time, living in a foreign land, away from his customs and traditions. I've lived in New England my whole life. I don't know what that's like. I really don't. But some of you know what it's like to, to move to a faraway land, to live in a place where, where I mean, I, again, I know this just from, uh, from hearsay, but you go to Europe, you can't even use the same outlets. They have different outlets. Right? What is it like to live in a foreign land for 85 years? To be away from what is customary and familiar to you, to be away from your people that, that, that join you in, in worshiping God. See, Daniel chapter 9 occurs at a time where the people have been living in exile for a long time. They, they had some hope that the temple would be rebuilt, but, but you could read about it in, other, in Ezra and Nehemiah that, that there was discouragement, that the neighbors around Jerusalem were, were in opposition to them, and so they kind of stopped them from finishing rebuilding the temple. And, and so there's this kind of this, like, the, the promises of God are somewhat up in the air. And so rather than focusing on the circumstances of history, Daniel does something different. Daniel teaches us not just some, some actions to take. He teaches us, us the, the lifestyle of living in a foreign land. When, when your values, your beliefs, your way of living, your God is not necessarily at the center of the culture, but, but maybe even seen as an enemy. If you have your Bibles, open to Daniel chapter 9. I want to I just give us a chance to read this prayer of Daniel. We're going to begin to get a taste of the coming prophecies that Daniel proclaims, which we'll pick up again next year, after the summer and after the fall. We'll, we'll pick up just after the holidays in the prophecies of Daniel. But, but here in Daniel chapter 9, we... we we get a chance to see this moment where Daniel turns to God, and we actually do hear what he prays, the things that he petitions God for. So again, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Daniel chapter 9, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 19 for us. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hasuerus, which by the way, if you ever don't know how to pronounce an Old Testament word or name, just kind of like, kind of <clears throat> Hasuerus, just kind of like cough it out and then move on. By descent, a Mede who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, 
In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that, which, that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, our God, listen to the prayer of, the ser of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary with, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Father God, we thank you for your word, for you having spoken, for speaking through your prophet Daniel. Lord, we know that these are not Daniel's words, but your words given to your people, recorded for us to learn from and grow from. And so, Lord, we know that in this place, we desire to, to know you more fully, to learn from the life of Daniel what it means to walk by faith in a foreign land. And so, Lord, quicken our hearts to, to see these things, to trust your word, and to follow you in obedience. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, it's not hard to tell that this prayer is a prayer of confession. It's not hard to see that this is a prayer of, of Daniel crying out to God on behalf of his people, saying, God, help us. We, we're, I mean, obviously, it's 85 years, and I'm using that as a round number, 85 years in exile. We want things to change, Lord. We know that only you can change them. Forgive us because we've sinned against you. That's not hard to understand from Daniel's prayer, is it? No, I, I want us to understand that in Daniel's prayer, we see his lifestyle. We see the way that he's living before God, what it means to live by faith in a foreign land. Last week, uh, you may remember that, that we kind of saw that prayer is a habit of Daniel's heart. And, and with that habit, it's not just a routine that he goes through. It's a habit that brings life to his, to his living in the Chaldeans, among the Chaldeans. When Daniel found out that King Darius signed a decree that no one could pray to, to God or to man, but only to King Darius for 30 days, so that Ding, King, <laughs> Ding Darius, King Darius could, could, <laughs> could, could actually assert his authority as a king, Daniel goes home to pray. But he doesn't go home to pray out of fear that he's going to be cast into the lion's den. Daniel goes home because it was his habit to do. Daniel goes home to, to pray in, in his upper room, the, the text tells us, as was his habit three times a day. See, Daniel had made a, a healthy habit out of meeting with God in prayer. It's his way of, of, of keeping his life centered on God. I mean, if you think about the things that, are, that matter to you, that are important, that, that you value, family, being kind and loving, how do, you, how do you center your life on those things? How do you stay focused on those things? I think what we see in Daniel is this, this urgency of saying, yes, those things are important, but what matters most is that I keep my life centered on God. And, and, and what we hear from the life of Daniel is how prayer helped him to keep his life centered on God and waiting on God to do what only God could do, Right? In his, uh, in his book on prayer, Richard Foster tells the story of a friend who was walking through the mall with his two-year-old son. And the, son's, uh, the man's son was, was cranky, he was tired, he was probably hungry. He, he probably didn't want to be shopping in a mall, which, you know, what young man could blame him, right? I mean, that's no man's joy. I shouldn't say that. Some men might enjoy shopping in the mall. I do not. I, it's, it's not my favorite pastime. Either way, the, the dad could not get his son to quiet down, right? He couldn't get him to calm down, to quiet down. So finally, out of desperation, he scoops his son up into his arms, and he holds him close, and he starts singing to him. Now, you might say, oh, maybe he sang to him, Jesus loves you, this I know, or, or um, you know, maybe he starts uh, singing some other song to him, like some ZZ Top song or something like that. I don't know. What, what we're told in this story is the dad doesn't know what to sing him, and so he just starts singing some off-key song. I love you, you're my favorite son. Well, actually, not my favorite, you're my, you're my son. I don't remember all that he said. Oh, uh, you make me smile, you make me happy, I like the way you laugh. Right? The, the dad's just, he's not singing a song, he's just singing these truths to his boy. And soon after, the, the, the father, or the, the son quiets down. He calms down. In, in hearing what the father has to say to him, the child calms down and relaxes. A little, little while later, the man's buckling his son into his car seat, 
And his son calmly looks up at him and says, Dad, sing it to me again. Sing it to me again, Daddy. Right? See, Foster says that this is what prayer is meant to be. Allowing ourselves to be gathered up in the Father's arms where he can sing his words of love and his promises and his truth to us. For Daniel, getting swept up into the Father's arm meant stepping away routinely, regularly, habitually, three times a day to be swept up into the Father's arms, to, be, to remove himself from the distractions of life so that he can hear the truths of God sung gently into his ear. And so for this to be true, though, Daniel had to be listening. Right? For us to, to receive, to hear, to, to meet with God in prayer and to receive these promises of God, to be swept up into our Father's arms to, to hear his love song, we need to be listening just as Daniel was. Listen to the first two verses in Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. See, we already kind of covered this, but the reality of, of the Jewish nation's circumstances was pretty bleak, right? They're still living in exile. They're still kind of waiting. When's it gonna, when's it gonna happen, God? When are you gonna, when are you gonna return us to Jerusalem and see the temple rebuilt. But God had promised to always love them, to be their steadfast and faithful God in covenant, to always be there. And so Daniel knew this, but how does he know this? Because he perceived it. He discerned it. He understood it. He had a knowledge of it. How? In the books, the number of years, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. See, Daniel discerned God's promises. Daniel heard, listened to, paid attention to the, the love song of his heavenly father as he discerned and understood from the scriptures when God would fulfill his promises. Over and over again in the story of the Old Testament, God sends prophet after prophet after prophet, to come and tell his people to turn from their wicked ways, to walk in obedience to their, their heavenly father, the one who had rescued them out of the land of slavery, who provided for them in the wilderness, who led them to the promised land, saying, I'm faithful to you. Just trust me and obey me. Follow me. Later on in, uh, in the history of the Old Testament, Jeremiah the prophet reminds the people of this promise God made. In Jeremiah chapter 7, he says, But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But what did the people do? But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went back, backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They, they did worse than their fathers. See, Daniel is aware of this history of the promise of God and the actions of the people of God. 
because he's paid attention to the promises of God. He's explored and discerned the promises of God, not just with this desire to to know them with his mind, but to to desire these promises, to to make them the, the center of his prayer so that he wasn't just kind of reciting this knowledge of God to God. God's like, I already know that. You don't have to tell me. But that he might have a heart for these promises, a desire for God to be this kind of God that he's promised to be. See, Daniel's discern the promises of God through the scriptures. Church, the, the, the spiritual habit of prayer that Daniel exhibits, the, the spiritual habit that we, that we saw in chapter 6, it flows out of his habit of reading and meditating on the promises of God, the scripture of God. Now, I'm not saying to you that, that, that you should walk out of here and, and commit yourself to, to a new Bible reading plan. I would love it to know that we're all reading the Bible every day. A little bit, a lot, however it works for you. But knowing that we're rooted in the word of God is most important. So please don't jump to that place of saying, okay, what's the Bible reading, I should, or Bible reading plan I should pick up now? But you should understand the, the heartfelt desire of God for you to meet with him and knowing him and what the word of God says. See, the crying child that gets swept up into the father's hand doesn't, doesn't calm down by, by speaking at the father all that bothers him. God, this isn't supposed to go this way. Why are you doing this to me? Don't let this happen. Make this better for me. That doesn't calm me down. That just makes me more anxious because it doesn't change my circumstances. What changes my circumstances, what, what the spiritual habit of reading the scriptures in the way that Daniel encourages us to so that we too might discern and understand the promises of God, what, what matters most is reading them and praying them in such a way that we're, we're calmed and we're quieted like a weaned child in our soul because we know who God is and what he's going to do. Right? These, these spiritual habits are not just things that we do like, like chores or, or, or exercises. They're a posture of the heart so that we might stand confidently and firmly in the promises God has made. The crying child that gets swept up into the father's arms does so so that he can be calmed and comforted by the words of this steadfast, faithful, and loving heavenly father. I can't encourage you enough to let yourself be swept up into your father's arms. To see prayer not as, not as a, a chance for you to go through a list of things that you want to tell him about, but to, to see it as a time in your day, in your life, where you let him speak his promises to your heart and your mind. But in order to do that, you need to know what those promises are. You need not to just assume, well, the pastor said this is what the promise is, so I'm just going to go with that. No, don't get swept up into the Father's arms to hear what the pastor's promise, what the pastor says the Bible says is true. You need to hear the Father's promises yourself. Don't, don't go about telling God what you think you know or what, what, what you think is wrong in this world according to your perceptions. Let him tell you the truth that you need to hear. Let the promises of God wash over your heart and your mind as you read these scriptures and as, as you meet with God in prayer. See, knowing these promises drove Daniel to prayer, to seek the Lord's face. 
He says in verse 3, then I turned my, my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer. See, praying, praying for Daniel was not some sort of recipe to get something he needed. It wasn't like a recipe so that he could, he, he could kind of skirt the consequences of, of not praying to King Darius, but instead having to go to the, the lion's den. Prayer was not some magical incantation. Prayer was a spiritual habit that kept his heart focused and centered on the promises of God. When the circumstances of our world swirl around us, we need that anchor in this place to remember who God is and what God is going to do, that he will not leave you nor forsake you, that he will provide for you, that he will guide you, that he'll remain with you. In the, in the Hobbit, Bilbo and his band of dwarves, they, they get lost in Mirkwood. Why? Because they got distracted. They got lured away by the things that were going on off the trail from the left to the right, the sounds, the smells, the, the sights. They became hopelessly lost. Instead, Daniel teaches us the power of keeping our focus on God in, through the scriptures in prayer. He embraces the wisdom that King Solomon taught in Proverbs 4, which says, put away from you crooked speech. Put away devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So I think Daniel shows us the value of Scripture and prayer as healthy habits in the life of God's people living in exile. The third spiritual habit that Daniel teaches us is that of worship. For Daniel, he's, he's living in a land that was, that was not his own, right? It, it's not just that there's big things that are different, like language and, and the, the kind of the landscape around him. It's little things, too. It's, it's the things like just having a, a, you know, a different outlet to plug your appliances in, things like that. It, it's the food you eat. It's the, the religious uh, kind of center of the day. It's all these things that were different for Daniel. So, so how is he to remember God, the God who created him, the God who redeemed him and his people from slavery, the God who led them through the wilderness and to the promised land? How is he to remember that God when living in a foreign land that, that doesn't support or, or, or affirm the, the truth of that life that he's been living in? See, from, from early on, Daniel had to learn to survive as a captive. And, and this required that he adapted to his surroundings. He, he couldn't always just be what he was in Jerusalem, there in, in Babylon. He had to learn to, to adapt to, a, 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 to living under a different king and living in a foreign land and living under different customs. So how is it that after 80-something years, Daniel is still grounded in his faith? Well, what we can learn from here in chapter 9 is that through prayer, Daniel maintained a life of worship. Daniel maintained a life where what he said was his greatest treasure was God. There's a saying that goes, you are what you eat. It's probably more accurate to say that we become what we worship, right? Right? 
We become what we say is most important to us, what, what we treasure most. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So what does that mean? When I was younger, I used to love to watch the Ernest movies. You know, Ernest Goes to Camp, Ernest Scared Stupid, Ernest uh, Saves Halloween. Um, it's not a thinking movie. It, it, you, you don't have to put a lot of thought into it. Uh, but I remember as a young man watching these movies and driving my brother mad, driving him insane. Because I, I loved how Ernest would laugh, and so I started imitating that, right? I, I, I mean, I watched these movies enough where I was like quoting them, I was laughing like Ernest, and it drove my brother insane, which probably was also part of my, my purpose, but I can say that only because the kids are not in here right now. Now, I didn't necessarily bow down to the Ernest movies. It wasn't like, you know, I, I really genuinely worshipped them, but I, I loved it so much that I gave it all my attention, all my focus, and, and really, like, that's what I wanted to do with, with my free time on a Friday night was watch one of these Ernest movies. See, spiritual habits like prayer and worship do something similar in our hearts. They, they maintain our focus and our attention and our value on God alone. See, Daniel maintained his identity in God when, when the pressure all around him was to conform to the, the, the world around him, right? to, the, to the pattern of the culture he was living in. But these spiritual habits helped him to maintain who he was as a child of God, as one of the people of God. You probably remember when, when Daniel was first brought into exile, they, he was given this, you know, this supposedly special food from the king's table with the other young men of, of Jerusalem to, that were in training to become wise men in Babylon. But Daniel said no. Why? Because it had the potential to spoil his relationship with God. It wasn't just a food thing, it was a worship thing. Daniel protected this heart of worship with God because he didn't want to risk losing that relationship that he treasured most, even if it meant that he wouldn't eat what was customary to eat because the king told him to do so. Daniel followed God's law, which taught that we should not have any other gods, that we shouldn't bow down to any other idols, worship other idols, or, or eat food sacrificed to them, right? So for Daniel, the habit of worshiping God was, was this vital spiritual habit for, for living faithfully in a foreign land. Not just living faithfully, but, but retaining his, his identity as a child of God. Remembering that he is not who he makes himself to be, but because of who God says he is. And that's something that he can only know in this healthy spiritual habit of worship. Listen to how Daniel knows and worships God so intimately in his prayer. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. How does he know these characteristics of God? Well, it's because he's worshiping God and he's done so regularly, habitually, not rotely, dryly, or mindlessly, but because his heart was centered on the value of worship. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Verse 14, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. Verse 18, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Church, we need to know God 
And we know God personally and intimately as we build up a habit of worship. I'm not saying we go to worship or we do worship every so often, but we say this is what matters most. I, I mean, yes, going to the gym matters that I go there every day, but more than that means that I live a lifestyle of worship, that, that I'm not going to say, okay, God, I'm going to give you 15 minutes in the morning, but I want to cultivate my love for God in every part of my day. I want to know him as a righteous God, a merciful and forgiving God, a, a, a God who shows great mercy. See, through his regular habit of worship, Daniel has grown boldly confident in the greatness and awesomeness of God. It's why he can endure living under three different kings. It's why he can last for 85 years and not lose hope. Why? Because his faith does not waver in God being faithful to his promises. So church, what shape does your spiritual habit of worship take? You go through the motions of coming to this building a couple times a month because it's what you're used to doing or you feel like that's what's expected of you? Or is it a a spiritual habit of yours to, to come every week anticipating God to show up and to show you how he's at work in your life? You, you shouldn't be afraid to come to church because you think your life's not in, in order. You don't, you don't come here to show God what your life is like. You come here to, to meet God, to hear of God, to see God at work. You come here to, re, to receive from him, not to show him how good you're doing in this world. Right? I mean, if, if this is me, I'd, I'd have a pretty feeble offering to bring before God. My worship of God is to know him to see him at work, to be reminded of his promises. See, if you want a rich and full life, don't let God be just a part of your life. Make him a part of your whole life. Let every day be an opportunity to notice the character of God. Let, let, let every day be an opportunity to see God's mercy in your life, his grace, his forgiveness, his provisions, his love to you. He does love you, church. But rather than us telling God, what he, what he feels or what he thinks or what he knows. We need to allow ourselves to be swept up into his arms so he can tell us that he loves us. The last spiritual habit I want to point out from Daniel's prayer in chapter 9 is that of confession. See, so the reason why we love God's forgiveness and mercy so much is that we need it. I, I know, like, it's hard to embrace that. Like, we're not really bad people, right? We, we're not really bad people or unkind people. And we tell ourselves this. And, and I get it. There, we do kind things, but that doesn't make us a kind person. We do good things, but that doesn't make us a good person. So I think, church, we would benefit from recognizing that, that we have room to grow. That, that maybe there is a bit of evil and wickedness that still tries to take over control in my life. We love God's forgiveness and mercy because I think deep down within us, we believe we do need it, right? We, we love to sing songs like, Great is Thy Faithfulness, but, but to truly appreciate how faithful God is, we need to be brought to, uh, what needs to be brought to our attention is our unfaithfulness. 
right? To, to appreciate how faithful God is, we need to be aware of how unfaithful we can be or even other people can be, how God alone is a source of faithfulness, and that should give us comfort. See, a majority of Daniel's prayer here in chapter, chapter 9 is his confession, his confession to God on behalf of himself and also his people, which Quick side note, I know it's Father's Day, so I'll say this. Fathers, your responsibility is not just to seek God's forgiveness in your life, but to seek God's forgiveness for the life of your family as well. Not just your children, but your spouse as well. Your, your, your parents, your cousins, your siblings. Daniel shows us that. And, and it's true, too, for you moms and, and other women of influence in this congregation, but specifically I just thought I'd say that for the dads on Father's Day, right? See, Daniel sees the need to confess. He recognizes that the people have acted wickedly, that they've ignored God's commandments, that they've turned aside from his leading and guiding. He confesses things like acting wickedly, rebelling against God, turning aside from God's commandments and rules, and ignoring and disobeying God's servants, the prophets. He, he, he even confesses the fact that they don't confess. Right? Look at verse 13. As it's written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Right? Like it's confessing that we don't even confess. Confession is a lost art, a lost spiritual habit in the church of today. I, I, it's not just saying, I'm sorry, right? Because we can say we're sorry, but not really mean it. That's, we're, we've gotten good at that. I've gotten good at that, right? But what I think we need to hear here, hear, 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 hear audibly here, right now, hear, hear is that confession bears spiritual fruit that you could not even imagine. Because it humbly leads us to this place where we acknowledge our weakness, our brokenness, the reality of evil potentially being at work in us, and it cries out to God for his help and seeks mercy and compassion and grace from those around us. In, in 1 John 1, 9, we're told that if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of all our unrighteousness. See, this is one of those promises that we need to be swept up into the Father's arms and hear. Right? I mean, we don't, we don't necessarily experience forgiveness very readily in this, this day and age. But we need to be swept up into the Father's arms and hear that regardless of what our experience is, is here on, the, on a horizontal plane, he is faithful to forgive his children. But do you notice the prerequisite for God's forgiveness of all our unrighteousness? If we confess. Church, I don't believe that you're as good as you think you are. I don't believe I'm as good as I think I am. But thank God, we're not righteous or good because of our, our, our own making, our own efforts. We're made righteous by the one who is faithful and just to forgive us. 
We may not think that we deserve to be swept up into the Father's arms and hear, I forgive you, I love you, you're my child. But regardless of what we think we deserve, the promise of God is this is what he wants to give us. If we confess. One author I read wrote this. He says, what distinguishes us, us Christians from the world is not that we're less wicked, but that by the grace of God, we have learned to see our wickedness for what it is and that we confess our sins. This is an important truth for us, church. We are not better than the world. Theologically, spiritually, practically speaking, we are not better than the world. We're not less wicked. No, what, we have, what benefits us in Christ is that we have come to learn of our wickedness for what it is and receive the invitation to confess our sins. And what we're met with is the promise that he is faithful to forgive us. So the spiritual habit of confession gives us a softened heart that's dependent upon God to lead us through this foreign land and into the land that he has promised us. We need to be people who, who live open-handedly before God and say, God, I know I'm not good enough, but you love me anyway. You love me, and you forgive me, and you'll provide for me. So don't, don't scoff at spiritual habits, but embrace them. Right? Daniel lived out the habits of Scripture, prayer, worship, and confession in such a way that he outlived three foreign kings. Maybe more. I'm, I'm, I'd have to do more research to actually see what the timeline of kings was. But the, the point is that he lived faithfully in the land, that God gifted him hope and security when everything around him was falling apart. Not, not everyone likes talking about building habits and, and, and routines and discipline, right? Not, not everyone likes being told, hey, you should go to the gym more often, or you should learn how to eat more healthy, or you should pray more, or you should read the scriptures more. We don't all like hearing that. We don't like discipline and order. But, but understand something. Without order and discipline, you and I would not be here. We wouldn't be here. We're told that before the creation of the world, there was chaos, Scripture says that it was, uh, the, 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 that the world was formless and void, right? But where there was formlessness, God brought order. God brought form and order to what was chaos. So, so order is good. So, so don't mistake order and discipline and healthy spiritual habits for some simple list of action items or to-dos. Our God is a relational God. He wants to meet you in that place of prayer and, and, and in hearing his promises of the scriptures and, and, and in worship and in confession. He wants that, to build that relationship with you, to, to, to help you trust him as you live in a foreign land. The, these spiritual habits are meant to facilitate our relationship with God, not, not replace God with idols, thinking, well, if I do this, God will bless me, Right? We don't pray because God told us to pray. We pray because God knew it would facilitate our relationship with him for which we were created. So please don't walk away this morning saying, oh, the pastor said I had to pray more or read the Bible more or, or worship more. Our goal should not be to do more, but to remember who God is and to remember who we are in light of him.
In other words, our growing desire should be toward being the children of God, not looking like a Christian, but actually being the one who loves to be with their heavenly father, loves to, to hear him sweep them up into his arms and speak his truth into their ears, to receive peace and calm in knowing that God is faithful to those promises. So church, remember who you are. Remember what you're capable of, right? Come to know that we are a wicked people as well, but in that wickedness that we receive God's grace and forgiveness if we confess. Prayer, worship, scripture reading, confession. This was, this was Daniel's way of remembering and remaining focused on God. Holy habits help Daniel. Holy habits. So church, today, begin to build up your holy habits don't, don't, don't go out there and say, I've got to do this, 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 and this. But seek God in prayer. God, what, what, holy, healthy, what healthy, holy habit do I need to, 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 to lean into my relationship with you this week? Maybe, maybe it's to make a, a greater commitment to meet with him in worship, whether it's here on Sunday morning or on a daily basis. Maybe it is you want to start reading through a book of the Bible and you want to just do so. But, but I would encourage you, if you do, do so slowly. Chew on the, the promises of God. Don't read through it so you can check that you've read that chapter. Read through it so you get to a point where it just grabs your heart and, and just spend some time in prayer. God, why, why is it that, what is it you're trying to show me in, in impressing this, this, this passage, this verse on my heart? What do you want me to know about you more? What do you want me to be more confident in, in your character? Begin these holy habits and watch what God can do. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, you that you are a God who longs to be in relationship with us. But that relationship is not just meant to give you someone to talk to. It's, it, it's meant to be a place where you can pour out your heart to love your creation, to, to, to tend to your flock, to provide for your people, to guide them through wilderness, the wilderness. Lord, we, uh, we are a church living in the wilderness today because our true home is in heaven with you. And so, Lord, empower us to build healthy, holy habits, to be the kind of people whose hearts are centered on you, where we don't look to the left or the right, we don't get lured away by various distractions, but we remain focused and centered on you and you alone. Father, I pray especially that today you would give us open ears and shut mouths to be swept up into your arms and to hear your promises, to hear your love for us. Just as Daniel did, may we too be the kind of people who live faithful lives, even in exile, for however long you have us there until you call us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.